Greetings to all of you, brothers and sisters, friends and family and neighbors, <laughs> whoever you may be. I greet you in the name of the one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We've thought about this morning, different times, about the, the authority of Jesus Christ He is the sovereign one, and I'm often blessed and comforted with the thought that nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing takes God by surprise, but he is aware of it. He knew it was going to happen. He has allowed it, whatever it may be, for his purposes And so we trust him in that. Now, it is especially beautiful this morning to look back across the congregation and notice one family um, that we have prayed for many a time. And I am now seeing them all together. Ken and Carla, Alyssa, Jonathan, Rachel, and Logan, God bless you. What a joy it is to see you together, and we look forward to seeing you together many more days to come. And I can tell by your expressions on all of you that this has been a joyful weekend uh, back at home. Let's continue to pray for them. As God continues to work in their lives, in their home, uh, that it could truly be a a special thing. There's a certain uh, musical work that we hear uh, more often around the Christmas holidays. And in fact, uh, just this very weekend... Uh, The first weekend in December, uh, this musical work is performed uh, down in the Durham area uh, by a a big choir and orchestra. And and some of our number here uh, this morning went and heard them already this weekend. And perhaps some of you plan to do yet today. I don't know. Now, it's a a musical work that wasn't necessarily uh, composed for the Christmas holiday. However, it fits very well, and it's been performed many times since its composition uh, around the Christmas holiday. That is Handel's Messiah. We know it as Handel's Messiah uh, because it was written by George Friedrich Handel. I would like for us to think about the text in particular this morning, the text of the Messiah, the Oratorio Messiah. And, and the Handel's Messiah is one of the most popular and one of the most often performed choral pieces in the world today. Uh, it's, it's performed, <laughs> it, really, it really is, is a testimony to the power of God, how God can use how God can use people who are not necessarily committed uh, to living for him 
yet how he can use people like that to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think about that different times when I hear this great work or perhaps when I go and, and, and hear it in person sometimes, how, how this, this oratorio is performed all around the world, proclaiming the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ to many people who do not know him. Even those performing, many I'm supposing do not truly know him. And yet it is very popular and it speaks tremendously of who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us, and what he yet promises to do for those who trust him. But let me just give you a little history at the beginning here of Handel's Messiah. Uh, George Friedrich Handel was born in Halle, Germany, in 1685, into a very religious home and very affluent uh, setting. They were very well-to-do. George's father was a celebrated surgeon, and it was his desire for his son to study law and to to be a lawyer. However, it became pretty obvious early on that George wasn't interested in that, and in fact, His real desire and his real gifting in life had to do with music. And uh, George started playing the organ by the time he was 11 years old. And by the time he was 18, he had already composed his first opera. That was sort of a (laughs) back in, in the Baroque period. That was sort of the the class, you know, the the top class of of writing at that point, operas. And so by by age 18, George had already written his first opera. And then he went on to write well over 40 operas in the next number of years until, from what I understand, uh, the emotional and financial toll of it pretty much wore him out. Well, it's interesting what he turned to at that point. He, he turned to writing sacred oratorios, and that was, I guess, much more refreshing. Now, George had a good friend by the name of Charles, Charles Jennings. And Charles Jennings uh, was, was a scholar when it came to uh, literary things, writing texts, grammar, English, all that type of thing. He was quite a writer. And George and Charles had worked together already on some other works, on some, some of these operas that, that George had written. So they knew each other. They were good friends. They worked together. But in 1741, George got a letter from Charles, and Charles was expressing his desire for George to create a scriptural anthology. That's the part that, that Charles was going to do. He wanted to, to create this scriptural anthology, and then he wanted George Friedrich Handel to set it to music. Well, little did he know how fast that work would be completed. And this is astounding as we consider this. Handel received the text uh, for this music, in mid-July of 1741, and he began working on composing the music on August the 22nd. 
By August 28, he had part one completed. Part two was completed by September 6, and part three by September 12. He then took two days to finish filling out the instrumentation. <laughs> it is said that he literally worked from morning to night for 20, those 24 days until the work was completed. But he completed 259 pages of composition in 24 days. Now, this was, this was four-part choir as well as orchestra as well, okay? 259 pages. <laughs> By the way, when this work is performed, it takes between two and a half to three hours uh, to, to sing through this, this whole work. Now, at the end of the 259 pages of composition, he wrote the initials SDG, which stands for Soli Deo Gloria. And that means to God alone the glory. Now, this inscription plus the speed in which it was written uh, make many to believe that it was simply written by divine inspiration. However, George was a fast writer. I mean, he wrote other, other musical pieces very fast. In fact, <laughs> he had his next oratorio completed just one week after he turned in uh, Messiah. <laughs> just one week after. And that was titled Samson. I've never heard Samson. <laughs> It'd be interesting to, to look that one up. But we don't... Uh, I'm not aware of, of uh, performances where people go and hear Samson. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning... Handel's Messiah is typically performed around the Christmas holiday. That's when we often think of it. However, it was not originally that way. It was actually originally performed around Easter, around Lent. That was sort of maybe the original intent. Um, it was first performed in Dublin, Ireland on April the 13th, 1742. And as I read about that, at its premier performance... A record audience of 700 people crowded into a theater that was built for 600. So it was very packed. And in order to accommodate this number, the ticket holders were asked to abide by these rules. And these were the rules. Gentlemen, leave your swords at home. And women, wear skirts without hoops. <laughs> thought that was interesting. So... That would make people much more narrow. <laughs> if you took the swords off and you took the hoops out. <laughs> but the management there at Music Hall in Dublin said that this would allow room for more company. <laughs> and uh, they ended up getting 100 extra people in there. But Messiah went on to be a triumphant success. And reviewers of that pre uh, premiere performance wrote that the best judges allowed it to be the most finished piece of music. Words are wanting to express the exquisite delight it afforded to the admiring, crowded audience. And as I said, and, and you know, Handel's Messiah went on to become very popular, um, even to today. 
you know, what, 250 plus years later. Now, George Friedrich Handel died in 1759 at the age of 74, and in his later days, he had become completely blind. It is said that he conducted this oratorio just eight days before his death from his customary position at the harpsichord, completely blind. It's interesting. And so, for the rest of our time here this morning, I would like to read the text of this uh, powerful oratorio, and I have programs for you. I'd like the ushers to, uh, to hand out these programs, and we will read the text of Handel's Messiah, which is, by the way, all scripture. Okay, I have about 60 copies here. Uh, there's 95 plus people here. Um, a lot of people can get a copy, but, you know, um, at least start with the youth age or so, and, and most, most people will be able to have a copy, and we'll see how it, how it turns out. So really, as, as, you, as we look at the Handel's Messiah, as the, we look at the text here, you will see that it really is the story of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus in, in a beautiful way. Uh, we have way back from, from prophecy about Jesus coming, uh, and, and we end up in Revelation, where he is crowned as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, how are we coming out? If you have some extra, I'd like, I'd like, if you can read, I'd like you to have one. So um, raise your hand. There's still, there's still more. If you don't have one, go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, uh, up here. And a couple fellas up here. Okay, who else? In the back? Simon, would you like one? Okay. Right. Okay, everyone has access? Okay. Now, before I begin reading here, let me just give a short overview, and I, and I read this here. The text is composed entirely of scriptural quotations. It is unusual in having no speaking parts. None of the soloists portrays a named character. Along with the chorus, they narrate or react anonymously. Now, let me, uh, let me just make note of that. It says, none of the soloists portrays a named character. Now, there is, there is uh, verses in here that in our Bible we have Jesus saying. Uh, take, for example, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, and so forth. However, Charles Jennings worded it so it's speaking of Jesus. Not Jesus speaking to us, but it's speaking of Jesus. So we will read, Come unto him, take his yoke upon you, 
and learn of him. So just so you understand, um, there, is, there is passages where Jesus spoke, but it's worded um, as it's speaking of Jesus. There is no mention of stable, star, cross, or tomb. The Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah's birth and purpose outnumber the New Testament quotations. Among the best descriptions of the text is that by English scholar Julian Herbage. And this is what he says. Immediately after the overture, we are told of the comfort which our Lord's coming will bring. And the chorus tells of the glory of the Lord that will be revealed. The all of this prophecy is stressed, as is the darkness of the world before the coming of our Savior. The chorus rejoices at the birth of Christ, and a dramatic picture is painted of the nativity. The true meaning and reason of his birth is revealed in the final air and chorus of the first part. In the second part, we share in the poignancy of the passion, not as a present tragedy, but as an everlasting drama. Then comes the spreading of the gospel based upon the life of, based upon the life of sacrifice which ended in the ascension. The nations who have failed to learn its lesson, who still rage furiously together, will be broken by their own folly. Finally, in part three, we are given a, ver- a vision of the last judgment and the song of praise of the angelic host. Okay. Now, let's begin reading down through the text of Handel's Messiah. And before we do that, let me just note one thing. So, so you're looking at a program of the text of Handel's Messiah. You will note that uh, it starts with an overture, which is a little musical introduction, and then uh, the tenor will stand up and, and he'll uh, sing, and, and then the chorus, and then uh, the chorus will sit down, the bass will get up, and soprano and alto and so forth. You'll note that as we go down through. Now, sometimes you see um, a solo recitative, and sometimes you see a solo air, and you might think, well, What's the difference? What's a recitative? What's an air? And just so you know, uh, recitative comes from the word uh, to recite or to tell. And it's usually sung quickly, almost as if it were just being spoken. Um, An air comes from the Italian word aria, which is just simply a song that is sung. It's usually a long song. Okay, so just in easy terms, you could say, when, it, when, it, when there's a recitative, it's going to be quick. And when it's an air, you're going to be sitting for a little bit longer. <laughs> so that's, that's usually how it is. A recitative, they're basically just singing straight through, word for word. An air, they're going to sing it over and over in this way and that way and come back and so on and so forth. So just, just so you know that. I also note in this particular program, uh, there is two sopranos. It looks like the soprano part uh, was being shared by uh, Miss Erickson and Miss McNair. Not sure why that was, but that was the case in this particular rendering. Okay, we will read through this, and as we read through this, may you be blessed. Uh, may the story of Jesus uh, come new to you, perhaps be fresh to you as we look at what the scripture has to say about him. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, 
and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now the bass gets up. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. This is from Haggai 2, 6 and 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and the desire of all nations shall come. Malachi 3, verses 1 through 3. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 40, verse 9, O thou that tellest good tidings to Zion, get thee up into the high mountain. O thou that tellest good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Isaiah 9, verses 2 and 6. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Then in the program is what is known as the Pastoral Symphony. It's a very beautiful, soothing, uh, instrumental part that the orchestra plays. And it takes you right into then the soprano recitative. Luke 2, 8 through 14. There were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, 
Thy king cometh unto thee. He is the righteous Savior. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then shall the eyes of the blind be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Let me just stop for a moment and, and insert this. Jesus came to make things right. Jesus came to make things whole, to restore what was in the beginning. His mission and his purpose was one of peace, of restoration, uh, that of deliverance. You remember there when Jesus got up in the synagogue and read from the prophet Isaiah what his mission was. He has come to deliver, to, to bind up, to heal, to all of that. You know, and still today, Jesus longs to restore those things that have gone bad. He longs to make things whole, to fix what is broken, and ultimately, of course, to bring spiritual wholeness and health to our life. Isaiah 40, verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come unto him, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. His yoke is easy and his burthen is light. You see that? That's not necessarily an incorrect spelling. That's more of an old English, I believe, rendering of burden. His burthen is light. Now we move into part two that speaks more of the passion of Christ. John 1.29 Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 50, verse 6. He gave his back to the smiters and his cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. He did not hide his face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Psalm 22, 7 and 8. All they that see him laugh him to scorn. They shoot out their lips and shake their heads, saying, He trusted in God that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, if he delight in him. Psalm 69, 20 and 21. Thy rebuke hath broken his heart. He is full of heaviness. He looked for some to have pity on him, but there was no man. 
neither found he any to comfort him. Lamentations 1.12 Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto his sorrow. Isaiah 53 verse 8 He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of thy people was he stricken. Psalm 16 verse 10 But thou didst not leave his soul in hell, nor didst thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Psalm 24, 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Hebrews 1, 5, and 6. Unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, have this day have I begotten thee. Let all the angels of God worship him. Psalm 68, verses 18 and 11. Thou art gone up on high, thou hast led captivity captive, and received gifts for men, yea, even for thine enemies, that the Lord God might dwell among them. And then verse 11 is a, is a very uh, rousing little chorus that I always enjoy in the Handel's Messiah. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of the preachers. That's sort of how it goes, <laughs> timing-wise. Romans 10, 15, and 18. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Their sound is gone out into all the lands, and their words unto the ends of the world. And then once again, the big strong bass gets up. Psalm, Psalm 2, verses 1 through 4 and 9. Why do the nations so furiously rage together? Why do the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their yokes from us. He that dwelleth in heaven shall laugh them to scorn. The Lord shall have them in derision. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And now we get to the part in Handel's Messiah that perhaps is the most well-known of the musical selections in the Handel's Messiah, and that is the Hallelujah Chorus. The Hallelujah Chorus is often taken out and, and sung uh, on its own, just a standalone piece. Many times it has been. But I read that as Handel wrote this particular piece... The, the, the hallelujah chorus as we know it, he said that he saw all heaven before him. He saw all heaven before him as he came to this part and he was, he was writing, writing out the hallelujah chorus. Now, the custom of standing for this piece, I don't know if you're aware of that custom or not, but oftentimes when you go to uh, a performance of the Handel's Messiah, when the, when the orchestra begins the little introduction uh, to this piece, 
the audience stands to their feet. And I understand that the, that custom originates from the belief that at that London, well, not, it is, the, the first premiere was in Dublin, Ireland, but at the London premiere, King George II stood just out of, out of awe, out of, out of reverence. I'm not sure why all he, he might have stood, but he stood to his feet when the Hallelujah Chorus began, which then obligated everyone else to stand at their feet as well. Uh, that is, if they valued their head. <laughs> if the king stood, you better stand as well. And so, from what I read, that custom has, has been ever since, that when the Hallelujah Chorus begins, everyone stands to your feet. And so we ought to do that, I guess, this morning. You can stand to your feet, and we read from Revelation 19, verse 6, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Revelation eleven fifteen. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 19, 16. King of kings and Lord of lords. You can be seated. And now we come to the, to the last part of the Handel's Messiah, part three. And if this, if I would title these parts, I believe I would have to title part three, Victory, Victory, because we see it, it coming out so clearly and powerfully in this part. Job 19, 25 and 26, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22 and 51 through 57. For now is Christ risen from the dead, the firstfruits of them that sleep. Since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And at this point, there's an incredible trumpet solo that it will it'll just send shivers down your spine. <laughs> just a beautiful, clear trumpet solo. And perhaps... That will be the music we hear one day soon. Who knows? But this is what the scripture says. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I recall in that particular chorus, but thanks be to God, 
Over and over again, the choir says, but thanks, thanks, thanks be to God, thanks be to God. I don't know how many times thanks, thanks is sung, but it it really is a powerful testimony of the attitude that should be so alive and well within our hearts when we consider what God has done for us. An attitude of gratitude, thanks living for what Christ has done for us. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 31-34. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's, God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. And then it ends with Revelation 5, 9 through 14. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and hath redeemed us to God by His blood, to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. Now, now the amen is actually a few pages of amen in the performance. A beautiful conclusion to Handel's Messiah. Now, I read that Charles Jennings then concluded his original text with these two verses. Now, they weren't included, they were not included in the Handel's Messiah, but this is what he followed it up with then. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen of angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. And Colossians 2.3, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say along with George Friedrich Handel, to God alone the glory, truly, to God alone the glory. It's a powerful collage of scripture that paints such a beautiful picture of the story of Jesus. And of course, included in that story is you and me. Why don't we quote together John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. We have been singing some choruses this morning and I would just like to keep doing that. Let's sing one final chorus. Why don't we stand... And we will close the service with the chorus, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, and so forth. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy.